3: Well, again, Happy New Year and welcome to our number two of the Best of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge on Faith Radio. Carmen has been enjoying the week off. That is apart from her special live stream event last night on Faith Radio's Facebook and YouTube channels. The video of the event is available at both locations if you want to check it out. Carmen will be back in on Monday. As for this hour of today's show, we want to first talk about apologetics and evangelism. The practice of offering reasons for the Christian faith or apologetics strikes many unbelievers today as offensive, an attempt to proselytize. While Christians themselves often view apologetics as unsophisticated or even faith-understanding, After all, shouldn't a believer focus on presenting the gospel rather than attempting to argue people to believe? Well, this past year, Carmen talked with Joshua Chartreau, author of Telling a Better Story. In Telling a Better Story, Joshua presents a new, inside-out approach to offering reasons for the Christian faith, one geared toward conversations with unbelievers that are relevant, respectful of where they're at, purposeful, and always honoring of others and Christ. Carmen really enjoyed her conversation with Joshua, so we'll listen to it again in just a bit here on listener-supported Faith Radio.
1: Plans to
0: Joining me now, uh, Josh Chatro, he is the author of Telling a Better Story, How to Talk About God in a Skeptical Age. Josh, welcome to Mornings with Carmen.
2: Hey, Carmen. Thanks for having me.
0: Well, it's it's great to have you um here with us. Um full disclosure here. I I actually wrote a book on conversational apologetics. And so um I love this subject matter and I am so appreciative uh, uh so appreciative of not only the content but what you're inviting us to do. And so um I just want you to lay out the invitation. Why do we need this? Um and then why do we need it now?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think Maybe I can start with the second question, why we need it now. I think one of the things that I I see as I've interacted in the church is that um, the culture sh- has shifted so rapidly, where it was once that um, even if someone wasn't a believer in the gospel, they would um, see it as a social good, as something good for society. It was something that created moral people, and so, you know, it, it was— It had social kind of capital attached to it, and it went very quickly from that to kind of a neutral thing. to Now, in many places in the West, it's actually seen as something that's not good for society. And so that that shift means that conversations are much harder, uh, gospel conversations are much more difficult— And, and yet our ministry models in many cases were built in, you know, 30 years ago, and we're still trying to use, uh, some, some models to have these conversations that actually assume a very different context. So the book was written just practically, how do we actually get into these conversations, uh, given that climate? And of course we need to get in those conversations because this is the true story. And it's the story that, uh, gives us meaning and value and morality and and beauty and love and all the things that uh, late moderns are looking for is found in this, in the gospel story.
0: All right. So you used a term there, late moderns. Um, (laughs) I'd love, I'd love for you to define that because I do think that, like, let's say that my mom's listening right now, she's 82. You're going to have to help her understand Um, her grandchildren, who are, you know, 16 and 17, but you're also going to have to help her understand um, the generation that maybe is between me and my nieces and nephews, right? So there's, because I do think that the way people see the world and the way they think about the world and process information and even the events of the day, they don't even recognize that their worldview is so radically different than the worldview of the next and then emerging generations.
2: Yeah. 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 I, I You're right to call me to do that because I used that word and didn't explain it. And yet, I don't think we have enough time for me to fully unpack it. But let me give you a few <laughs> things. I mean, I think one of the things obviously is in, in, you know, about 12 years ago, we got these things called iPhones. <laughs> and I think that these, these iPhones and these kind of phones, I mean, it, it, technology has changed the way people think and process. And one of the things is we kind of have it represents this kind of me culture that we build around ourselves. It also represents uh, you have access to um, ideas from all over the world. And so that is attached to something called pluralism, where there is no kind of one dominant religion anymore. And so you feel if you're in an urban area or you're under 40, you feel the fragility of your beliefs. It doesn't mean you don't believe. It doesn't mean you you can't be a faithful Christian but you feel, feel the plausibility of other um, religious stories, of other secular stories, because you can't just simply dismiss those people as crazies. Although that sometimes happens, but we shouldn't simply dismiss those people as crazy because we get to know them and we realize, like, th- this is a smart person, and and so you can't um, kind of just go into your own little shell. Oh, that sometimes happens, but it's harder if you're in an urban area, it's harder if you're younger and um, to do that. And so I think uh, for younger people, for people in urban areas, they feel more of the kind of um, what a philosopher, Charles Taylor, calls the cross pressures, the pressure of unbelief in a way that probably your grandmother, uh, if, if she's a believer, hasn't felt.
0: All right, which leads to a conversation uh, immediately about The hesitancy to share the gospel because evangelism suddenly seems um, like I'm telling someone else that what they believe is wrong, which, of course, um, if the truth is true and it's true truth, then other things cannot stand as true as well. So. Um, So I think that uh, I love what you do at the end of the book because you talk about you're you're actually answering these objections to an oppressive story, an unloving story, and an untrue story. So I definitely want um, to get there. Let's take a very, very brief break. I'm talking with Josh. His last name is pronounced like Chateau with an R in the middle, but it's spelled Mm -hmm. Chatraw because I want you to be able to find him. So... um, (laughs) Uh, so Josh Chateau, but you're looking for C-H-A-T-R-A-W. He is the author of Telling a Better Story, How to Talk About God in a Skeptical Age. We'll be right back. Talking with author Josh Chetreau about his book, Telling a Better Story, How to Talk About God in a Skeptical Age. I would describe this as conversational apologetics training at its best. If you're not familiar with the inside-out method, that would be the apologetics method being employed here. Uh, Josh, unpack the inside-out method um, briefly, and then let's talk about answering the objections to the story.
2: Yeah. Well, inside-out, uh, it's It starts with um, what I practically I tell people just a great way to get in a conversation is say, hey, what's your story? And if you listen closely to someone's story as they describe it, you'll hear things that um, where they're tapping, you know, where they're trying to get meaning or um, where they're finding love, where they're something that they're worshiping. Listen, listen carefully, and you'll hear certain things that are, I think, just basic to human personhood. And I think some of those things we can affirm, um, uh, you know, they love their family, they they get meaning in those these types of things. But I think along the way, you're going to find you're also as you're stepping into their story, this is the inside part, you're stepping into their story. And you're saying, what are some things as they as they tell their story that I can affirm? But what are some things I need to challenge or get them to think more about that if they hold that consistently, or if it's one thing to to love something? But if you're loving something uh and making it ultimate, is that gonna really give you what you're looking for? And so having these conversations where you step into their story in order to then take them back out into the gospel story and 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 ask them to try it on, see how it fits, see how it better explains life. And so that's inside out in a, you know, really quick summary. The book's gonna unpack that in a lot more detail, but but that's that's the gist of it.
0: And so the better story that we're always telling um, is is the story of the gospel, and every Mm -hmm. conversation is a gospel. has the potential to be a gospel conversation. But as a believer, I have to get over the fear of the threshold, right? Mm -hmm. I can I can listen to a conversation, I can overhear, you know, a group of people talking about something, and I can know as a Christian that there's a wide open door to to walk the gospel out, um, and I can still stand there in my fear. And the reason that I stand there in my fear is really because of the of the objections that you point out in in the in the last part of the book. And yeah. and maybe I don't know how to answer those objections. So talk with us um and again, I know it's 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 a crazy brief <laughs> overview. But you know, how do yeah. we answer the objections? And you could just pick one. People who say that, yeah. you know, the gospel story is oppressive or they say it's unloving or they say it's untrue.
2: Yeah. Yeah, well, I think I think what what we have to do here is we have to listen closely and we have to a lot of times people are picking up on things where Christians have failed them. And 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 I think you know th- there's plenty of examples of that. And I think we have to acknowledge that. And yet at, at also, also within the Christian storyline, I think there's resources that have continually corrected both society and Christians. And let me give you uh, just, just one example of that. I think within the Christian storyline, we have um, this, this belief that humans are made um, in the image of God and therefore have dignity. And And so what's happened in our world today is because Christianity has been injected into the Western world, into kind of the bloodstream, what you have are moral ideals such as we should love everyone regardless of uh, you know, of race or tribe or country, people you've never met across, you know, you know, and, and on another continent right now, you should love and that all people should have human rights. Well, you know, scholars, and I'm not even talking about Christian scholars here, I'm talking about secular scholars have recognized that those are Christian, that, that those make sense along the Christian storyline. And it's and it's the the what it's the inheritance the western culture is in some sense living off the inheritance of the christian story so now christians haven't lived up to those ideals in many cases but still it's the christian storyline that has given us uh has been a has been the root of this kind of fruit and so when someone's saying well christians haven't lived always lived up to that i want to be quick to say yes we we haven't and yet if, you know, where are you going to get these ideas from if it's not the gospel? And so I won't, won't I'd like to kind of say, where are you going to get these ideas? Let me tell you our story and how this God who created us in his image gives every human being, every human being this dignity, but does your story give you that? And so, so there's a, there's a way here where you can listen and affirm. And then yet at the same time, you're challenging kind of, the, the the very basis by which they're um, kind of challenging Christianity. But you, you don't have to do it in a way that's us versus them. You can do it in a way that invites them in and affirms like, hey, this ideal you have, I have that too. And so, you know, tongue in cheek, sometimes I say, I, I think you might be more Christian than you realize. In other words, you have these Christian ideals, but you just need this gospel
0: story. Which leads to a great question. Um, can a person be you know, a kind sort of a moralistic uh, follower of Jesus without actually being a disciple, um, because I do think there are people who are, they function as if God is not sovereign or God is not present and God is not active, but they also operate on a set of shared cultural ideas that are absolutely yeah. Christian in their basis.
2: Well no, I that that doesn't make uh, you know uh, adopting Christian morality in that sense doesn't make you Christian of course. <laughs> I, but but the goal here is is if people are saying Christianity's uh, not beautiful and not good is is bad, mm-hmm. I want to help them see actually it's good. And then and, and then they have to you know, of course bow the knee and trust in Christ. But going back to kind of what is a late modern? I mean I think one of the challenges that we're facing is people uh, are objecting not simply saying this isn't true but they're saying it's not good and it's not beautiful and so i want to tell i want to tell them i want to help them see i want to open up their imagination so they begin to see that this is a good story a beautiful story and this is this is a lord that they should trust this is a god they should trust and can trust so um certainly don't want people to be confused i'm not saying simply if you if you adopt the teachings of christ um it, you know just the moral kind of ideals of Christ therefore you'll be a Christian. Plus um, you know, he's Jesus taught I am the way, the truth, and the life. I mean that's that's rooted in his moral teachings that you would submit to him.
0: Absolutely. Um Josh uh is the director of the New City Fellows and it's resident uh is resident theologian at Holy Trinity Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Um, he's got all kinds of really wonderful uh, books uh, under his belt, The History of Apologetics, Apologetics at the Cross. This one that we're talking about today is Telling a Better Story, How to Talk About God in the Skeptical Age. I would describe this, uh, Josh, as putting all of that, um, of those sort of heavy lift materials at a level where every single person who's listening right now can not only apprehend what you're saying, but turn it into tangible action uh, in the conversations that they're going to have today with others. Um, people who are listening closely absolutely heard uh, Josh make reference there to, um, to those, you know, transcendental virtues of uh, goodness, beauty, and, and, and truth. Um, and that is how we answer the questions of the reality of who God is. And, uh, and so thank you so much for this conversation today. Thank you for the book telling a better story you guys can find josh let me spell his last name for you c-h-a-t-r-a-w um you know it sounds like uh chateau but it's spelled like chat raw and so i do want you to be able to find him which is the only reason that i would butcher his name like that so thank you so much josh for joining us today on mornings with carmen thanks carmen appreciate it we'll be right back
3: Again, thank you for listening to this best of mornings with Carmen LaBurge on Faith Radio, for this New Year's Day. Happy New Year. I'm Paul Perot, Carmen's producer. And up next, Is the universe, is the world good or evil? And how are we to best understand the nature of creation? It's a doctrine that the church has long struggled with. Longtime friend of Mornings with Carmen, Bruce Ashford, recently released a book called The Doctrine of Creation, where he deals with this topic. Now, it has a lot of implications for how we engage our culture today. We'll listen to Carmen and Bruce's conversation in about five minutes. By the way, I still have some copies to give away. A bit of a caveat, it is an academic work and it's not the easiest read. I know. I've been trying to read my copy of it. I've been enjoying it. It's just been a little hard. But anyway, if you'd like to win one of the copies I have, maybe give it as a gift to your pastor or such. Text the word BOOK. Just those four letters, B-O-O-K, to 877-933-2484. We'll send you back a note. Click on the link in that to register for an opportunity to win a copy of, again, The Doctrine of Creation by Bruce Ashford. We're going to get to Carmen's conversation with Bruce in just a moment here on Mornings with
1: Carmen on Faith Radio. This is Max Locato water all noah can see is water you can relate you've known your share of floods flooded by sorrow at the cemetery anger at the disability in your body fear of the uncertainty of a pandemic and and you've needed what noah needed you've needed hope sometimes all we need is a little hope that's all noah needed and and that's what noah received this is how the bible describes the moment When the dove returned to him in the evening, there in its beak was a freshly plucked olive leaf. Hope is an olive leaf, evidence of dry land after a flood. Could you use some hope? Could you use a fresh start? At some point in life, we all could. And the oh-so-welcome news of Scripture is this. Our God is a God of fresh starts. This is Max Locato.
0: me again today Bruce Ashford from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. Today we're talking about a brand new book entitled The Doctrine of Creation. Bruce, welcome back.
4: Hey, it's good to be on the show Carmen. Thanks for having me.
0: Absolutely. We're going to make um we're going to make doctrine fun again. That's going to be the goal of this conversation.
4: <laughs> MBSA. Yes,
0: yeah, exactly right. Okay, so The Doctrine of Creation before we get into what it is, and why it matters. I want you to talk about the theological tradition out of which this particular conversation grows. So Abraham Kuyper, or the Kuypernian tradition, talk about that.
4: Yeah, so Abraham Kuyper is a name that maybe many Americans won't know, but he's an important name to know, I think. He lived in the Netherlands more than 100 years ago, and he began as a pastor, but he later founded a Christian university, the first Christian university of the Netherlands. He founded a national newspaper— founded a conservative political party, uh, became a member of parliament, and then became the prime minister of the Netherlands. So he was an amazing person. And what he was known for the most was reflecting on what it means uh, for Christ to be the Lord over everything in our lives. So he reflected on what it meant for Christ to be Lord over culture. What do our Christian commitments have to do with things like art, science, politics, sports and competition, marriage and family, and all these things That take up the vast majority of our life, you know, outside of our Sunday morning church meetings and our, our devotional time with the Lord? How and why do those things matter? And so he began to take a look at patterns in the Bible and patterns in history. And what he noticed is that just like God created different kinds of animals, he also created different kinds of culture to arise out of the created world. So God created earth. Uh, with human beings, men and women, and animals, and and wind, and fire, and air, and water, and all of that sort of thing, but he created, when he created it, he created it with hidden potentials so that it would, would go from being a garden to being a collection of cities and nations that have all kinds of culture, movies, and music, and literature, and fashion, and architecture, and agriculture, and politics, and all of these different kinds of culture And one of the neat things that he did is he basically gave Christians three questions that we can ask when we're involved in any kind of cultural activity or when we find ourselves in one of these spheres of culture, right? We find ourselves watching a movie, shopping for clothes, eating dinner, watching a ball game, engaged in science, going to school, these kind of activities that we do. And he gave us three questions to ask that guide us and how to approach those activities in a Christian manner. And the three questions sort of align with three big plot movements in the Bible, creation, fall, and redemption. So the first question aligns with creation, and that is, if I I really sit and think about it and read my Bible and look at the world around me, what is God's design for this type of cultural activity? A movie, a book, our workplace, whatever the activity is. What, what, What would God want from it? Number two, the second question aligns with the fall. And that is, how has human sin and idolatry worked and twisted this realm of culture, this type of cultural activity? And then number three aligns with God's salvation, his redemption. And that is, now that I'm a Christian and Jesus is Lord of my life, how can I untwist what's been twisted in this arena? How can I redirect what's been misdirected? How can I bring healing where there's corruption? So let's take an example, something that most people do, or at least that people used to do before COVID. We would often go to a movie theater. Now, usually we have a home theater, right? We're watching Netflix or Disney Plus or Amazon Prime or whatever it is, Hulu. So if we were to take those three questions and apply them to uh, the cultural activity that is movie watching, i say, what would God's design be for movies? Well, movies are like books, in the, uh, fiction books or narrative books, and they tell a story. And when they tell a story, they always have a hero. And the hero is usually somebody we're supposed to look up to. There's usually a villain, somebody we're supposed to look down towards. And the villain tries to do something bad, and the hero tries to overcome it. And so what we want to ask is, uh, what we want to say is, there's nothing wrong with going to a movie in and of itself. It tells a story. There's nothing wrong with that. Second question is, well, how have sin and idolatry corrupted this realm? Well. One of the ways that it's corrupted is that Hollywood screenwriters, producers, and directors often have a wrong view of the world, and they use the stories that they tell to try to to convince us of a wrong view of the world. Sometimes they don't. There's some really good movies out there. There's some really bad ones. Then most of them are kind of in between. They're a mixed bag. So then our third question aligns with salvation or redemption, and that is, okay, I'm watching this movie. And I've got a Hollywood screenwriter and director who are trying to convince me of at least a partly wrong view of the world. How can I be on guard against that? How can I enjoy the good aspects of the movie uh, while kind of giving the Heisman to the bad aspects? You know, how can I eat the fish that spit out the bones? Does that Mm. make sense?
0: Yeah, it totally makes sense. Um, And I I appreciate the clarity with which you express that. This is going to be I'm I'm going to have these like on an index card and go over these with my kids. Um because I do think that it's easy for us as Christians to have the conversation about what God intended it to be like, whatever it is. And it's frankly pretty easy for us to do the second part, which is, you know, how uh how has this been profaned? How what's the degradation? Where's, you know, if that's easy, the shadow side is easy for us to see as well. The third move is I think the difficult one, and I love the way you've just expressed that. I can discern what is good from what is not good, and I can choose to um, take the good and spit out uh, spit out that, which is not good i I can tell the difference. the Holy Spirit enables me to tell the difference um, and I can choose to move in the you know in the direction of the good and not uh, and not the reverse of it. I'm not the evil. I just, I really appreciate that. Okay, um, you and I need to take a very brief break. When we come back, we're actually going to talk about the subject matter itself. The book is The Doctrine of Creation, A Constructive Kypernian Approach. I know it sounds like a mouthful. It's actually a feast. Bruce Ashford is here to talk about it with me, co-authored with Craig Bartholomew. We'll be right back. Continuing my conversation now with Bruce Ashford, we are talking about his new book, which is The Doctrine of Creation. Um, Bruce, um, before we go any further, um, who is Craig Bartholomew?
4: So Craig Bartholomew is a good friend of mine. He's South African uh, by birth, but uh, lives and works uh, uh, right next to the University of Cambridge right now as the director of the Kirby Lang Institute for Christian Ethics. He's Anglican. Uh, He uh, loves the Lord and believes the Bible. He uh, started out as an Old Testament scholar, uh, but now is uh, basically a whole Bible scholar. You know, I had a, uh, the time of our life writing this book. It took us about a decade. We wrote the rough draft and then didn't like it all that much, uh, uh, knew it needed to be improved, and we sat on it for about seven or eight more years and worked on it. And finally, it was, uh, it was released a few weeks ago.
0: So I just love that. I, I, I really appreciate that. I appreciate that this is not an American book. Can you talk about that? When we start having a conversation about Christian doctrine, we are not talking about a doctrine that is trapped in any uh, one national expression or even in any one period of time. Um, I think that's an important part of the conversation that we're having in this generation that might be differentiated from conversations had in prior generations on this topic.
4: Yeah, so the interesting thing about the doctrine of creation is it is next to the doctrine of God, it is the biggest doctrine in all of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Everything that we see and everything that we don't see other than God was created by God. And this book is an exploration of the whole of the uh, the created world and uh, the goodness of it and the value in it. and so it far transcends any one nation or any one person. and transcends the earth that we live on. It includes the whole created universe visible and invisible. Um, and so there's a, an initial answer to your question.
0: And you guys launch into the doctrine of creation um, being an article of faith. I do think this is, this is like at the most primary level what differentiates me from non-believers. I actually do believe that in the beginning, God, And in the beginning, God created. I mean, this is, I think, what differentiates um, people with a supernatural worldview, believers in maybe all three dominant world religions versus those who believe otherwise. Like, this is at the very basis.
4: Yeah, it is. I mean, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There was nothing. Nothing. And then there was something, and it's God who made the something out of the nothing. And that's an enormously powerful statement. And the Bible doesn't apologize for it. It doesn't build a lot of arguments to try to force people to believe it. It just says there was nothing, there was something, and God did it. And the fact of the matter is, if there was nothing and then something, the only candidate for a God like that is God. And so in the beginning, God... That's the first big point that our book makes, is that God stands behind the created world. A second big point that it makes is that the world that God created is good. It's repeated six times in Genesis chapter 1. And it was good, 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 it was very good. And that means that though the world we live in is not something we're trying to escape. And in fact, when Christ returns, he's going to renew this heavens and earth. The new heavens and earth is this heavens and earth that we live on right now, renewed. And so our goal is not to escape to heaven, although right now, in the meantime, in the interim, when a person dies, they go to heaven. It's a wonderful place to be in the presence of God. But in eternity, God is actually going to be here with us on this heavens and earth. And so this heaven and earth that we live on right now matters to God. And so if the if the creation matters, then all of human culture matters, because culture Things like art and science, politics, economics, sports and competition, business and entrepreneurship, marriage and family. All of these things are part of the created world, and they're developed out of the created world. And the only way to be a human is to be deeply immersed in the created world and to live in the created world in a cultural manner with these cultural things that we've created out of God's good world. And so we want to embrace the fact that we have bodies and that we live in this earth. And we want to use our bodies and minds and live on this earth in a manner that pleases him. And that's what we try to teach in this book. And that's what we're doing with this uh, doctrine of creation, this theology of creation.
0: You talk in here about Sabbath. You talk in here about heaven. You talk in here about um, place and plants and animals and human beings. You talk in here about um, uh, the travails of, of creation. Um, you talk about redemption. It's very, very comprehensive. Um, and I think that the conversation about, it's not just that we are going to heaven. It's that God is planning on being right here in the good creation that he made. The doctrine of creation is, um, is so hopeful and it's and it's beautiful. Can you just revel a little bit in 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 that because I think that people might be tempted to imagine that a book on the doctrine of creation is a too far a reach for them. And that's really not what you're doing. You're actually trying to bring it into the conversation that every Christian needs to be having at a very deep level about who God is and what he has made.
4: Yeah, I mean, one of the most uh, satisfying things we can do is to study and appreciate the world that God made. And when you appreciate an espresso in the morning uh, with some frothy steamed milk and you can smell those ground um, espresso beans, you're enjoying God's good creation. When you watch two teams play football on a Saturday afternoon, you're enjoying God's good creation. Um, When you go to sleep on a cold winter's night with three warm blankets over you, and a little fireplace near you, you're enjoying God's good creation. So we want to thoroughly enjoy uh, the world that God made. We also want to enjoy the design of the world that he made. So we can't ignore the way he designed it, because the way he designed it teaches us how we ought to live in it. The transgender movement is an attempt to erase God's design for the world. The, The fact that every person who's born either has the XX or the XY chromosome, and that can't be can't be avoided in no how many surgeries and, and hormone therapies you give and so we, we want to pay attention to whether God designed us to be a man or a woman we want to live in conformity with that. Transhumanism. Um, another word that's a mouthful is the attempt to make humans into uh, sort of uh, semi-gods in a sense by enhancing our brains and enhancing our bodies uh, so that we become partly non-human. This goes against God's uh, design for humans. To uh, to mutilate the human body to make us something that we're not. So we want to pay close attention to how God designed the world, because His design for the world helps us understand how to live in the world. One more example: um, God designed the world so that mothers will instinctively cradle their babies, even when the baby is in the womb. They'll protect the area where the you know where their stomach is, where the where where the, the baby is housed, because God designed a woman to want to protect the baby in the womb. And so we also want to design our laws in our nation so that the weakest and most vulnerable an unborn baby uh, will be protected by law and welcomed in life uh, rather than um, disposed of and called the products of conception. So the doctrine of creation matters for so many reasons and is very relevant to our social, cultural, and political issues not only in America but across the globe.
0: I'm thinking here about things that... Teenagers are talking about today, and the conversations where these where the doctrine of creation then so clearly connects with what they're talking about. So, um, just to make a cultural leap here, um, kids are talking about the fact that Wandavision uh, has been delayed in uh, in its broadcast debut on Disney Plus, and um lots of conversation about scarlet witch and vision and vision is you know not actually human he's a synthenoid. and it has provoked conversations in our family about um uh, about exactly what you're talking about what is god's design um how has god's design been really very much perverted in um witchcraft on the one side of this of this conversation and then this very transhumanist creature uh, known as vision, I mean, the, it it these are contemporary conversations. These are relevant conversations, and they grow out of right, uh, grow out of a right understanding of the doctrine of creation.
4: Yeah, they do, and uh, really, that's what we try to do in this book. If you want to reach out and buy it, it's called The Doctrine of Creation, uh, available on Amazon.com, and uh, we try to show that the doctrine of really all of the human life is lived uh, in, in, in the created order. Mm-hmm. and the whole drama of redemption and salvation, of Christ's coming, is lived out in the middle of the created order. And when Jesus came to save us, he did it with a human body. And uh, so these questions, the kind of questions that you're posing, are, are relevant to the questions that teenagers ask, to the questions that adults ask, and really to the, to, to every square inch of our lives.
0: Every square inch. That's very Kypernium. I love it. Bruce Ashford, as always, what a joy to talk with you. The book is The Doctrine of Creation. Um, Bruce Ashford and Craig Bartholomew are the co-authors. Um, you can also check out what Bruce is uh, working on at bruceashford.net. Follow him on Twitter at Bruce Ashford. Bruce, as always, thanks for joining us on Mornings with Carmen.
4: Hey, it's so great to be on the show. This is the best show, uh, best morning show in the United States of America. So uh, thanks for letting me be on.
0: Oh, you're so kind. Um, We'll be clipping that for rebroadcast. Absolutely. Thanks. (laughs) We appreciate it, brother. We'll talk soon. All right, friends, we're going to take a brief break and we'll be right back.
3: Well, you've been listening to The Best of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge on Faith Radio. And again, we do have copies of Bruce Ashford's book, The Doctrine of Creation, to give away, thanks to IVP academics. If you'd like to win a copy of the book, text the word BOOK and just those four letters B-O-O-K to 877-933-2484 to be put into the drawing for an opportunity to win. Again, thanks for listening today and this week to the best of mornings with Carmen LeBurge on this holiday week. Carmen returns on Monday with a new show where she'll get updates on the fight against COVID with Dr. Zach Jenkins. Plus, as a new Congress and new president are seated this month, we're going to talk to David French of the dispatch about how to best navigate the new reality in Washington. Especially as Christians. Plus, we'll talk with regular guest Linda Mintel, the relationship doctor, and a conversation with Carl Truman, author of The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. So, we have a strong start to 2021 starting on Monday on Mornings with Carmen. Remember, first, that all shows are podcasted, so if you miss any live show, you can listen online at myfaithradio.com or on the Faith Radio app. Plus, you can share the conversations as well. Secondly, remember that Mornings with Carmen and Faith Radio are listener supported. So why not resolve in 2021 to become an ongoing monthly giver to Faith Radio to support Faith Radio original shows like Mornings with Carmen, Suzy Larson Live, Afternoons with Bill, and more. Become an ongoing monthly giver now at MyFaithRadio.com. Again, I'm Paul Perot. Happy New Year. And thanks for listening to today's best of Mornings with Carmen on Faith Radio.